Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. To hear a priest argue with Jesus about theology. Like Jesus, you know, he's like, I only have an hour, right? This is the hour. I don't have time for this, you know, as entertaining as it might be. And so Jesus goes a different route. And so by asking Annas, well, where's the people who heard what I taught? You know, what do they have to say? What Jesus is saying, he's calling out Annas and saying, this whole trial is nonsense. Because the one person in a Jewish trial who never has to say anything is the person on trial. And so you, the way it normally works is you have people saying, this is what he said, and then people saying, no, he didn't say that. And so in one move, Jesus has Annas in checkmate. And so Annas checks out. He's like, nope. Like, I don't want any part of this. Send him off to Pilate. Because, because why? Is Pilate a better priest? Is Pilate going to have a better conversation? No. Pilate's going to kill Jesus, right? That, that, or at least that's, that's what Annas wants. No, just go kill him already. I, I don't want to debate him. I could probably beat him, but I'm not going to. So just <clears throat> go, go send him off so he can get killed. And so Annas didn't want to relinquish his authority Annas and Caiaphas had no desire in bringing the people to God. They didn't look at the people and want them to be holy. They wanted their glory and their power and the authority that comes from it. What they want is the glory that belongs to the one true high priest who is Jesus. The question for us, church, is who is our high priest? Right? How do we answer that question? Who is our high priest? I am not your high priest. Now, Jesus, our hero, he's the one that could be the ultimate high priest, who should be your high priest. He teaches truth. I mean, just perfect, 100% proof truth, right? So he is the ultimate teacher. He is also the one who provides the ultimate sacrifice, right? Himself, his own blood. And so talk about bringing the people to God. Jesus is the only way to God. He is the high priest who eliminates that whole system by fulfilling it. And so he is the ultimate, ultimate great high priest. And I don't think anybody cares to admit this. I hate to admit this. But functionally speaking, if we're honest, sometimes we have high priests that we put above Jesus. And this could be preachers or teachers whose word we are loyal to above Jesus. Even reading the words of Jesus and then going online and finding somebody else who agrees with us more and saying, oh yeah, well this person with a PhD disagrees with Jesus. I'm going to follow this guy. Well, functionally, we've made them our great, great high priest, right? And so the Apostle Paul saw this at Corinth. We see it happening all throughout history. Just look at any cult leader even look at the Pope. As silly as it may sound, sometimes we make our feelings our high priest. Right? I'm, I'm just going to leave that there. Sometimes we make our feelings our high priest. The problem is that we want to believe that we are on this path to heaven. That we, are, we are just on our way, and yet we don't want any of the authority. 
We don't want to change. We don't want anybody to teach us anything differently. And so we find what? The priest that'll get us there like the easiest, the path of least resistance. That's usually why people go to a priest. What's the easiest here? Is he telling me something I like? Is he making me feel good about myself? Whereas in contrast, our great high priest Jesus has said repeatedly, trouble, persecution, the world is going to hate you, take up your cross and repent of your sin. Therefore, there are many people who want the benefits of Jesus. They want the benefits of Jesus, but they don't want the priesthood of Jesus, which means they get nothing. If you follow Jesus, you follow him as your great high priest. When it comes to this world, if your local priest or pastor or somebody online that you're following, if they are drawing you to themselves, you are in trouble. <laughs> you are in trouble. What you are following is an Annas or Caiaphas. The glory belongs to the one priest, the gray high, high priest, Jesus Christ. Now, from this encounter, we have the great high priest. The great high priest is now leaving. People's high priest doesn't want anything to do with it. And they go to the governor's headquarters. And this exchange, oh, the hypocrisy and the awkwardness of this exchange we're going to read. And mind you, there's a lot of people, thousands of people in this conversation. Then they led Jesus, in verses 28 through 32, <clears throat> they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusations do you bring against this man? And they answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. It's not, it's not an answer. Uh, Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. And the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. And this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. And so this is, it's really it's a horribly awkward situation. And doesn't, we don't know the exact hour it takes place, but this is early morning. Right? And Pilate, Pilate's probably asleep, so they've woken him up. He probably hasn't had his coffee. And if you can imagine just no coffee, opening up your door, and there's thousands of people screaming at you. And so you, you see, you can almost hear it in Pilate's voice, like, what, is, what are you guys talking about? You know, this sounds like your problem. Isn't this your problem? Why are you here again? They, they don't really answer his question. Like, he's trying to figure it out, but they're like, oh, why would we be here if something is, is, isn't wrong? Which isn't an answer, because he's asking, what is wrong? After this, we don't know how much time passes, but Jesus figures out, or I'm sorry, Pilate figures out that, okay, it's about Jesus, this is the issue here, brings Jesus inside. And what we have is then Jesus versus Pilate, or the king of the kingdom versus the kingdom governor. Now, Pilate starts off trying to figure out who Jesus is by asking him, are you the king of the Jews? Which nobody said that, which now means we, we have every right to infer that the Jews have changed their strategy, right? The, their objection to Jesus is no longer theological. He passed that, but now it's political, right? And so now he, they're, 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 they're trying to say, 
They're just being good, like, Roman citizens. They are concerned. Pilate should be in charge. Caesar should be in charge. Jesus, he, he's not being cool. He's, he's trying to take the throne. They are innocent and, and on Pilate's side here. And so Jesus uh, counters with the question, who said that? Who said that? Pilate? <laughs> and so what he's trying to get Pilate to do is say, well, was it the Jews that said that? Was it the crowd, the mob, who said that? Which, if so, that's technically illegal because you can't have like this trial, this discussion with Pilate based on hearsay. Or is it Rome? Now, he's saying, is Rome declaring that I'm king? That's interesting. And so Pilate says, no, no, it's the mob, obviously. I mean, there's thousands of people outside. That's why I'm talking to you. But Jesus, I love his response Jesus responds as though the accusation is from Rome because he turns right around and says, oh, really, because, you know, I am a king. You know, so I have a kingdom, as a matter of fact. And so Jesus is quick to point out that his kingdom is drastically different. His kingdom is spiritual, <clears throat> which means we now have a material kingdom versus a spiritual kingdom The kingdom that Pilate serves is material. It's about power and stuff. It's about lines on a map. It's just things that are pointlessly beautiful. The only reason Pilate is even entertaining this conversation is why. It doesn't make sense to us if we think about it. Pilate doesn't want to lose his stuff. <laughs> like, how, like, we're not even going to get into the life of Pilate, but it's taken him a long time. This is a pretty good job. He does not want to lose it. He can't let his bosses know that he can't handle the, these Jewish people. And so he's having this discussion. Pilate would do anything for power and honor and glory, and not only that, but to do it in the best possible clothes. Now, there are volumes written about what kind of person Pilate was, and aspired to. But my favorite quote that I actually read, and I forget which, which theologian said it, but they summarized Pilate as someone you wouldn't want your daughter to bring home to Thanksgiving dinner. Right? And we get it. It's like, oh, okay, not cool guy. We don't, that's who Pilate is. He's very just, yeah, we don't want to see him at dinner. Now, in contrast, Jesus' kingdom is spiritual. Right? Now, notice... I think Pilate misunderstands what Jesus says when he says it's not of this world. Jesus is not saying that it's less than. You know, he, he's not saying it's not as great as. He's not saying it's smaller. He's not saying it's imaginary. He's saying it is not of. And so what does that mean? Well, borders don't matter. The maps don't matter. Like all the things that matter to Pilate don't matter to Jesus. He's like, we're kings in different, completely different realities. Jesus has the honor and glory and always has eternally. He doesn't need clothes to show it. Back in Isaiah 53.2, it says of Jesus, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. So... If you have any of those paintings with that really good-looking, muscular, long-haired, blue-eyed Jesus, well, if you believe Isaiah, that's probably not what he looked like. Nothing about him was, let's follow this guy, probably the opposite. Like, let's have nothing to do with this guy, but 
That wasn't Jesus' goal. And so Jesus goes on to explain the difference between his kingdom and Pilate's kingdom. Whereas the material kingdom is a kingdom of violence and shiny swords to win shiny things, Jesus has said, I could have already won this battle. My army could have beat your army, like, in a second. Possibly even some of Pilate's troops may have already told him, hey, don't let him say his name, right? Because just his name alone could decimate our entire army. Maybe that's why he's telling Jesus to just call himself king. Just don't say your name, right? Because we're all going to bow down before you. But by saying that his kingdom is, is not of this world and that it's not a kingdom of violence, he's letting Pilate know, like, I am not your competition. I don't want this. Right? I've been offered this already. I don't want what you have to offer. And therefore, don't listen to the hype mob outside. Like, don't listen to them. It's nonsense. Instead, Jesus says his kingdom spreads by truth. Truth instead of violence truth by believing what he says. You are part of Jesus' kingdom, Jesus says, if you believe what he says. To which Pilate famously replies, what is truth? What, what is truth? The same question of our day. What is truth? What is truth, church? That's a question that we all have to answer. We all have to answer what is truth. <clears throat> the truth is, most people, the people on that wide road that lead to destruction are very mesmerized by shiny things. Place high value on titles and spend their lives fighting for what? A lifestyle. That's what Pilate is about. Just consider Rome and the Roman providences and how beautiful they were. Still are. We still visit them. Or what's left of them. Now, if you believe that Jesus is king, you believe that everything, no matter how functional or beautiful, is going to wear down, it's going to break, and it's going to burn. Therefore, we follow our spiritual king in this world, not of this world, that's going to just completely break down. But we were in this world, but of a world of a kingdom that is eternal, that will never perish, that has a glorious hero king. And I believe Pilate has some concept of this. How much he believes of this. I, I think he does believe a lot of what he's heard. And so he turns around and goes back outside in verses 38 through 40. After he had said this, uh, Pilate, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I don't find any guilt in him, but you have a custom. I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, No, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Now Pilate does not see Jesus as a threat. Pilate knows, believes Jesus, that he's not competing with Jesus. Pilate doesn't want Jesus to die. This is the first of, I believe, three times where Pilate is trying to get Jesus out of this situation alive. Even calling him king in contrast to the criminal Barabbas. And what we find here is Jesus now encountering the rebel and the rebellious. The rebel and the rebellious. And so the rebel in this case is Barabbas. Right? The rebel is Barabbas. And so we know from other gospel accounts, this one says he's a robber. 
That's the least of Barabbas' charges, right? We, we know that he's a murderer. Like, he's against the throne. He's rebelled against the throne. He is stirring up trouble. In fact, we know historically some people think Jesus was in his crew or a follower of him because his name is Jesus Barabbas. And so there's some confusion, I think, going on here. And so Barabbas, a murderer, is going to receive the death penalty, probably of the cross. And so he is an enemy and rebel against Rome. Which means being an enemy of Rome, an enemy of the throne, means that he is the character that we can most identify with. He is the one character where we can understand stepping into his shoes. Although we're not sitting in a jail cell waiting to die, we are living very, very brief lives that will culminate in us standing before our king and answering for our crimes against the throne. In Romans 6.23, it tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can't find a more literal, right, a literal picture of anybody who could possibly understand this concept more than Barabbas. He is going to die. He was supposed to die for his sins, for his rebellion against the throne, and Jesus is going to die in his place. At least this time. We don't know what happens to Barabbas, but in this case, he receives this gift. He is set free by Jesus dying for him. Now again, you may argue with that very, very low bar. Well, I'm not like Barabbas. I may have stole a thing or two when I was younger, but I haven't killed anybody. Right? That's the low bar. I haven't killed, I haven't murdered anybody. And so perhaps we should be reminded of that classic hymn that we sing, How Deep the Father's Love for Us where we sing, Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. And as Jonathan Edwards once said, the only thing that we contribute to our salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. Jesus was murdered for our sin. There's no way around it. We have murdered somebody. Jesus was murdered, killed for our sin. Before we were saved, we were the rebel, which means we were part of that rebellious mob. We were among those who called out among the scoffers. In this case, the scoffers, the rebellious Jews, are crying out to free Barabbas. Part of the, the irony being that we know historically that Barabbas, as I mentioned earlier, his name is Jesus Barabbas, which means son of father. And so these people, these Jews, the, these, this rebellious crowd, these scoffers, trade the, the lowercase s, son of the father, they trade him to murder the capital S son, capital of F, father. More tragic even that this is a Passover tradition. That's what it says here a couple times. Why mention that? Well, they are celebrating their freedom from the king of Egypt by murdering their king. 
They are celebrating the, 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 the dying firstborn to set them free by killing the firstborn of the God who set them free. Only the hero's death wasn't quite upon Jesus yet. Instead, starting in chapter 19, we read, Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. What a horrible sight to behold. Right? We can't even imagine. We, we haven't seen in our culture anything like this. So real, so graphic. And yet, this is exactly what was foretold. In Isaiah 52, 14, Isaiah prophesied that our hero's appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. Which means that Jesus, when he inspired Isaiah to say that, Jesus already knew exactly what he was getting into. Jesus knew what was going to happen to him, knew how horrific it was going to be. A lot of us don't realize that that crown, like we have like the pretty images of Jesus with the crown on, and he still looks really good and tanned, but there's a crown and, and blood on him. Those thorns of that area are 12 inches long. They're not little thorns that look cute, like a tiara. They go in through one side of your skin and come out way out to the other side, if you can imagine that. David prophesied in Psalm 22:17, I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. Again, Jesus communicating to the prophets, letting them know way ahead of time, this is what I'm going to do. This is what a hero looks like. The hero stands up before everybody, able to count his own bones. Because it was not uncommon in this process, through this flogging, for the flesh to be completely torn off. Believe it or not, Pilate is actually doing this in mercy. Like, the whole point of this is, is to get Jesus out of here alive. Now, yes, bones exposed, yes, in a horrible position, but in a couple of years he can recover. And so what Pilate does here by bringing, out, bringing him out is he's kept saying king, he's the king, he's the king, the king of the Jews. And now he says, behold the man. Why does he say behold the man? Because he wants them to let him go. It's like, this is just a dude, like look at him. Like what do you want? He's not God, he's no threat to you. Like just let him go already. We've done everything we can do without killing him. Just let him go already. We find their response in verses 6 and 7. The response of the crowd. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, and then they're seeing him again just as horrific as we've talked about, they cried out, Nope, crucify him. Crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him. I don't find any guilt in him. And the Jews answered him, We have a law, 
And according to that law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. And moreover, in verse 14, now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, behold your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. And so three times Pilate has tried to get Jesus free. He's tried every tactic, including just beating him up to the point that they would show some mercy on him, which they don't. He's given him different titles. He's pointed them, look the other way. This is just a man. This is your... Every possible way Pilate wants out of this. And Pilate brings up a good point, though. It's like, well, I've repeatedly said that I find no guilt in him. Why don't you guys crucify him? And their response? Well, their response is, well, we have a law that says that we can't. If they crucify Jesus, which is a curse to hang a man on a tree, they can't eat the Passover meal. Like, if they had to crucify Jesus, it would totally ruin lunch for them that day. That is what they're saying. And so they are going to kill God. They're going to kill God, but they want to make sure they do it ceremonially clean. They honored God with their mouths while their hearts were far from him. And so church, does our mind, does our actions, right? Does, does, does our heart match what we profess with our lips? Right? Does everything about how we think and what we do and what we strive for match what we say it does? Are we any different than the, than the mob here, than the rebellious? Are we different than the priests here? What high priest are we following? Do we proclaim, behold our king, or we have no king but Caesar? It's not our king. What do our actions say? When we are in a moment where there's an opportunity to do something that we know is a sin, we know it is a sin, what do we do in that moment? That'll answer that question. Do we believe that we have been set free from having to sin? Do we believe we have a hero in Jesus? Yes, he doesn't look like a normal hero. In this point, he's not wearing a cape. He's wearing a robe. He, he's standing probably shaking in a puddle of his own blood. Do we believe that Jesus is our hero and he has set us free from having to do that sin? Or do we say by our actions, I have no king. I am my king. I am my queen of my own material world. It depends. It depends on who your high priest is. Right? It depends on who your high priest is. It depends on what you believe truth is. What is truth? And it depends on who you serve as king. Who is the king of your life? Now, just as last week, we end today finding our hero in a miserable state. Not what anybody would consider a hero. In verse 16, we read, So he, Pilate, delivered him over to them to be crucified. And so our hero is going to the cross. Imagine that. Our hero, Jesus, is now on his way to the cross. And so Christian, church, 
Behold your king. Let me pray for us. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.